you know, I, I think the question that we're trying to answer is extremely general. And you know, the concept of the algorithm that we're dealing with is completely pervasive. And it can be used to model, for example, biological processes like the brain so that we can understand better, you know, what it's capable of. Uh, you know, so what we're asking is the fundamental limits of efficient computation. You know, what can and cannot we expect them to solve? Hello again, and welcome back to Relatively Certain, a new show about science straight from researchers at the University of Maryland. I'm Chris Caesar, and I'm back in the studio for our second episode. As promised, this time we're talking about the limits of computation, which sounds maybe kind of... Complex. Oh, right. I should introduce my co-host today, Emily Edwards. We're going to chat about the limits of computers and what determines how powerful a computer is. As it turns out, it's not really about processor speeds and memory. It's actually a really deep question, and the answer can get really complicated pretty quick. Computer scientists in a field named computational complexity theory attempt to map out and catalog the power of computers, independent of their clock speed. And lucky for us, I sat down with one of these researchers recently. So I'm Bill Pfefferman. Uh, I'm currently a postdoc at uh, Quix, which... That's the Joint Center for Quantum Information and Computer Science here at the University of Maryland. Just describe a life, a day in the life of a complexity theory researcher, right? Like, what, what do you do? I love this question. Uh, you know, I... Um, uh, I think fundamentally, uh, complexity theory is is a is a theoretical discipline, right? So um, you know, I don't go to a lab. Uh, I don't I don't um, you know put on gloves and goggles and, and do something uh, very hands on. Uh, so a lot of it is is thinking um, about new approaches to solve some some problem or to prove some theorem. Pfefferman's on the front lines of computational complexity research, studying the differences between ordinary computers and their future quantum counterparts which are built on the rules of quantum physics. So the questions that uh, kind of drive my research are very fundamental questions involving what and you know what problems can be solved by a quantum computer and how the power of quantum computation compares with the power of classical computation, right? So a lot of my work uh, goes into finding formal evidence that there are problems that are too hard for even for quantum computers to solve. Um, you know, but this is but you know this is still open and it's still a possibility that you know quantum computers could solve these problems. But before we go that far into the hinterlands of computer science and physics, we stumble across the question that will drive today's show. Basically this, quantum or not, how do we even know what's hard and what's easy for a computer to do? So let's start with an example. Remember solving all those problems in grade school about factoring whole numbers? You would get some number, like 20, and you'd have to find all the prime factors, right? So like 20 is 5 times 4, and 5 is prime, so that's one factor. And then four is two times two, and two is another prime factor. Exactly. It's a problem that children solve all the time. But guess what? In other words, there's no fast algorithm that can quickly solve uh, the factoring problem for large numbers of digits, right, for a large digit um, uh, integer. We don't even know if this problem is easy or hard for a regular computer. For numbers like 20, it's easy for us to do by hand. But when the numbers get really big, like hundreds or thousands of digits... No one has found a way to quickly break up a large number like that into its prime factors. And this distinction between hard and easy, it's captured by these two big groups of problems, each of which contains all sorts of things that a computer could be programmed to solve. Complexity theorists call these two groups P and NP. And it's pretty easy to understand what's different about them. P has all the problems that can be solved quickly by an ordinary computer. This includes things like sorting a list of names alphabetically, 
or finding the shortest path between two points on a street map. NP, on the other hand, is a little different. It's all the problems with answers that can be verified quickly. So, for example, factoring is an NP because if I give you a bunch of numbers and I say they're the prime factors of some bigger number, you can just have a computer multiply them together and see if it's true. Exactly. And even if they're really big numbers, computers can still multiply them together quickly. Okay, well, so lucky for you, I actually wrote down a number already. So here's a, a big 18-digit number. So can you factor this thing? Oh, uh, that's pretty big. 18 digits? I definitely can't do that in my head. I mean, that's certainly not as easy as 20. <laughs> okay, well, so obviously I was expecting this. So I have the two prime factors of that big 18-digit number. So you, they're both nine digits, as you might expect. So if I give you these two numbers now, how fast can you see if they're actually the prime factors of this number? Well, I can't multiply that in my head, admittedly, but I can certainly uh, try my calculator on my handy-dandy phone. That is convenient. That is convenient. All right, here we go. First number, 761,748,941 times... 982,451,653. Okay, now, now before you hit equals, let's let's try and time it, right? Let's see how long it takes. Okay, it's a really big number. It's a really big number, so it, it may take a while. All right, ready, set, go. Done. Oh, that was fast. Is it the right answer? Uh, Do we get that 18-digit number back? Yes, it is the right answer. So I'll say I, I did do this on a computer, and it took it 135 seconds to factor that 18-digit number. And um, that number is really not that big. You know, numbers that are hundreds or thousands of digits long uh, would take much, much longer. Okay, so anyway, factoring is in NP, okay? And the question of P equal NP is, you know, is it the case that, you know, if you have an efficient means for checking the validity of the solution of some problem, is it also the case then that I could have solved the problem from the beginning, right? So there's this interesting asymmetry. For problems in P, you can find answers quickly. For problems in NP, you can check answers quickly. And solving and checking seem like they should be closely related but there's no proof that P and NP are the same or different. And all of this sounds very abstract, but it turns out there are lots of good reasons to care about this question. More than just the million bucks you could get if you solve it. And, you know, I think the reason this question is so important um, is, is, you know, other than being a natural question you can ask, is that it turns out that some of the most important questions that we'd like to solve, like factoring, for example, turn out to be in NP. And what makes factoring so interesting? Well, it's the basis of many internet security protocols, the things that hide your credit card number or your passwords online. These protocols assume that factoring big numbers is hard. So hard that we're willing to bet our secrets that a supercomputer won't be able to factor a thousand digit number before the universe ends. But if factoring really isn't a hard problem, if there is a computer program that could quickly factor numbers, we would probably want to know about that. But how do you prove that a particular problem is actually hard? How do you prove that there is no possible way to solve a problem quickly? It's really difficult, but computer scientists have a few techniques. So one approach is to take something like factoring and, and see whether it's really another problem in disguise, a problem that they already know is hard. You know, so in other words, when a, pro a candidate problem that you give me that you say, look, you know, uh, here's a problem. Uh, I can't find an algorithm for this problem. Uh, prove to me that it's hard. Um, this, this is one of the hardest things that you can do. 
right? So what complexity theorists currently do is we reduce it to some other problem that we know to be, you know, say an NP hard, like one of the hardest problems in NP. Like so it's like, a, it's like a bootstrapping It's a bootstrapping. Procedure. But notice that we don't know that P is not equal to NP. All you're doing is saying that this, is, this problem is hard as long as P is not equal to NP. So that's one approach, relating new problems to old problems and seeing if anything shakes out. Another approach is examining entirely new models of computation, which is what Pfefferman does. Things like quantum computers. And the whole basis for these new models is something called a Turing machine. That's Turing like Alan Turing, the British mathematician and codebreaker that many see as the father of modern computer science. Is this some kind of, is this an actual machine, right? So what, what is a Turing machine? Right. So... A Turing machine is an abstract model, so it's not an act. It's not a you know. It's not a computer. It's not a model that I can I can kind of point to and say here I've just created a Turing machine. But it's an abstract model that kind of mathematically characterizes the set of problems that we believe can be efficiently computed. Right. So I don't need to know that I'm I'm using a Mac or a PC or something, or I'm, or I'm using an Intel chip versus something else. Uh, it's it's the the sort of fundamental nature of the computer, but ex expressed mathematically, right? Absolutely. So these Turing machines kind of capture the essence of what computers do. They are like the bedrock that computer science is built on. They have a memory, and they can read stuff from memory, do something with it, and then write something back into memory. So that's starting to sound like a computer, right? And if you just tweak the Turing machines that computer scientists have been studying for decades by, say, letting them use quantum physics, then the answers to some of these questions about what's easy and what's hard change. So now all of a sudden, factoring is easy on a quantum computer. It could factor even large numbers relatively quickly. And although this line of work hasn't led to any concrete answers about P versus NP, Pfefferman says that it frames the question in a new way, a way that's a little bit less about math and a little bit more about physics. And what P versus NP is asking somehow is, you know, are any of these means of computation able to solve, you know, these, these particular hard problems, right? So it's kind of more impressive of a question than just, you know, is the computer on your desk capable of solving uh, some problem? It's really, you know, is there any physical means for solving, you know, these, these problems that, you know, uh, have this particular property, which is that if you gave me the answer, uh, you know, I could check that, uh, that the answer was correct. In the end, almost no one thinks that P and NP will end up being equal. But the details of what's hard and what's easy still matter. And in the meantime, researchers like Pfefferman will continue to push those boundaries around to see if anything comes loose. And Pfefferman says that Quix provides the perfect environment for this kind of work. I think the, the one exciting thing recently is that I've been working, I've been trying to work more closely with experimentalists, with people who actually do think about uh, you know, quantum systems on an experimental level. So people like me, whose training is in kind of more theoretical aspects of the field, can actually pro start proposing experiments along with, alongside experimentalists that kind of validate uh, the type of research that we both do. And that don't get you laughed out of the room. And don't get me laughed out of the room, absolutely. <laughs> Special thanks this week to Bill Pfefferman for diving pretty deep with an amateur computer scientist like myself. And thanks to you, Emily, for helping me explain a rather complicated topic. You're very welcome. We've got more episodes in the works, so keep your ears open for something new in June. For Relatively Certain, I'm Chris Caesar. And I'm Emily Edwards. 